like you to take your Bibles tonight to the book of Genesis in uh, chapter 4. Tonight is going to be a little bit like the last Sunday night was here, a little more on the, the teaching side other than uh, different than this morning. Uh, failure is not what? Fatal. Failure is not final. And failure is not futile. There's things about failure, and if you weren't here this morning, and uh, maybe someone can remember us, we already got three of the answers, but every one of us deal with failure, and every one of us always will deal with it to some degree, but it's been so important on how we deal with it. And uh, what's the answer to failure? Repentance. Repentance. What's the difference between grace and mercy? Grace is a covering over every one of us. Mercy is an individual act. It's something we ask for in the time of failure. We ask for mercy and he gives it. Grace is always there, always has been. It is there. And so when he established that nationwide, then he brings mercy. And mercy is something we ask for at the moment. And so tonight you may be in the midst of a failure, in the midst of something that's not went the way you know it should have went. And this is when you need mercy for God to reach into your life. He didn't quit loving you because of your failure. And that's one of the biggest things that sometimes we deal with is in the midst of a failure, we feel unlovable. And you're not unlovable. You may not be very desirable, and you may be annoying, but you're still loved. And that's what's really great about who our God is. It's really hard to be something that you can't see. And, um, and the reason I say that tonight is, 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 I said it this morning, that we all have to have the ability to look at ourselves and, and view ourselves for who we really are. And if we're in a place of weakness, then we need to be able to view that. If we're in a place of success, we need to review that. If we're in a place of being exactly where we need to be, that's an awesome thing, you need to see it. But you'll never see the things in your life that need challenge and thought and correcting if you can't see yourself correctly. And tonight I want to talk to you about motives. And this message is for believers, this is not for unbelievers. It's for us who are here consistently and we're faithful, and, but we need to recognize that our motives are a huge issue about everything in our life. How many of you have ever had an ulterior motive when you've done something? Yeah. You know, there's been many times I've spoke on things subtly with a message of one thing, but a subtle aftertone or however you want to call it, because my motive was for you to get something more than just the thing I was talking about. There was an underlying current of things I was addressing from the platform as well as something that was obvious to everyone. And so motives are things that, are things that have to be uh, correct and they have to be right. Have you ever met somebody who had the wrong motive? How many of you, did I ever tell the story about trying to buy a Jeep for $50? I ever tell that story? Well, I have, okay, I'll tell it again. But my motives were right, and the guy that tried to sell me the $50 Jeep, what was his motive? They were not right. And we both had a motive. We both had a purpose. Yeah, that's a story you can tell to people. That's okay, it doesn't hurt my feelings. He may be on Facebook, you know, our pastor was a sucker for $50 for a Jeep, you know, whatever. But what are my motives? The reasons, the reasons I act the way I act, the reasons I speak the way I speak, the reasons I respond the way I, re the way I do, all have to do with my motives. Let me give an example of a motive. <coughs> now, I'm not saying this to make my wife mad or agitated, um, but it's not hard for me to tell when my wife's aggravated. It's just not hard. Sorry, it just isn't. Bill, can you tell when Kaylin's mad? You can't, really? You can't tell. Well, I can always tell. Because my wife drops these little motives, these little things down, so I can see them to read between those lines. And she is not happy. 
There is a motive why she walks past me with her head this way. There's a motive why she goes and does this the way she does. Or I'll look at her and she'll say, don't you touch me. You know, whatever it is, there's a motive. There's a reason why. And you know, we all have motives. Every one of us have motives for the way we respond, the way we act, the way we say things. So there are certain motives that we have to purpose on why we respond the way we do. Some things we're trying to make a point. We're trying to let somebody know how mad we are so we don't talk to them. You know, we're making, we're making our point. Here's the thing about motives. If your motives are observed by others, then other people pick up your motives. Now let me ask you, do you like watching some people and the way they behave and the way they act with their motives? Or do you look at them and say, oh my goodness, I cannot believe how immature they are. I cannot, really? They're 30 years old and still acting like they're 70? Really? Their motives are so contaminated. So let me get to where we're going tonight. Uh, what are my motives? Uh, you're mad at uh, your spouse. You're mad at your boss, and everybody can tell. Everyone knows you're unhappy when you walk in. Secondly, your presence says, stay away or I will let you have it. Have you ever noticed, if you're a kid and you, you can catch that your parents are mad, when you see they come in, what do you do as a kid? You don't go up to them and get in the middle of it and say, Dad, you mad at Mom? Dad, you mad at Mom? Mom, are you mad at Dad? You don't do that. What do you do? You leave the room. You go somewhere else because the motive of that demeanor has just walked in and you don't want anything to do with it. So you go to your room and you get on your phone or you go play a, a, a crossword. You get a crossword puzzle. That's what you would do today's day age. So you would go get away. Your presence says, stay away or I'll let you have it. Third, and when you begin to speak, it, come, it becomes venom. And everything you speak, when your motives are corrupt and wrong, it is venom. It is not health. It is not nurturing. It is corrupting. And if you ever get into a bad motive for why you're speaking and why you're agitated, the things you speak are never to edify or help somebody. It's always to blast the circumstances that you're upset about. So what is your motive? What is my motive when I speak venom? And it is, my, I may not even be mad at her, but I'm venting and I'm just blasting stuff to my wife. What is my motive? My motive is to prove how right I am and how wrong everybody else is. You see, when my wife's mad at me and she turns her shoulder, she gives me that look that only her and Kayleen can give. I better get off that. Let's go on to LaPlace. All right. This is what happens with wrong motives. Friends begin to avoid you. There's something eventually an improper response or behavior begins to follow. Now, let me tell you, we're going to go to Genesis 4 because there is a, a, a profound truth in this passage in Genesis 4. Eventually, an improper response and behavior will follow. Let me tell you what happens when you're always, your motives are wrong at home, you're always venting and going off at home. Be, eventually, it doesn't stay in the house. Eventually, it goes somewhere else. Eventually, it gets outside of those four walls that your kids see you walk in, and they just exit, and they go to the room. Or your wife sees you, and go, oh, he's home, or oh, she's home. What happened? You know, the motives behind your actions and your behavior, it begins to go outside of those walls. And when it goes outside of those walls, there's behavior things that have a consequence. I want you to go to Genesis 4, and I want you to watch somebody who had to live with regret the rest of their life because their motives are wrong. Genesis 4 and verse 3. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground and offered it to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock. I'm going to read that again. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain he had, and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Here's the deal. Cain expected God to have the same response to him when it wasn't his best. 
It wasn't his first fruits. It wasn't something that God had already established. I want the best. I want your first. Because if you can't put me first, then nothing else is ever going to follow. So the motives of Cain began to change. Actually, Cain's motives were already wrong when he brought the produce. He didn't bring the first of his crops. He brought the second or whatever it was. It may have been blemished. It may have had worms in it. It may have been tainted. It may have been old. I don't know the details, but I know this. His motives were wrong from the beginning, and that set the stage for his behavior. And you may not think it does, but friend, your motives will always dictate your behavior. Always. Always. And so as we watch him here, the Lord saw his motives and saw his action already with his response. Now look in verse uh, 6 and 7. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou do not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule and thou shalt rule over him. Let me look at my notes. Cain's appearance began to change. His behavior reflected his frustration. God warned him about his demeanor. God noticed that his reasoning and his thinking was wrong. And he gave him correction. My failure is not fatal. My failure is not final. My failure is not futile. Why? Because if I repent in my failure, it had changed. But Cain did not repent because his motives were impure. Now, it's like a boy dating a girl. And many of you girls have been hurt by guys because guys have this ability to, to tell you whatever you want to hear and the things that seem the most appealing. And if they begin to speak it in your ear, you just become candy in their hand. And they're talking to you into doing things that you normally would never do because the motives of them is always kept fulfilling. A relationship that is fulfilled is when both people want to meet the needs of the other, not one-sided, because the motives are impure. The motives are wrong. Your motives affect everything about who you are, from your work, to your relationship with your spouse, to your relationship with your kids, to your relationship to your church, to your relationship with your God. See, when your motives are wrong, you want God to lower his standards and accommodate you and how you think and how you operate. But when our motives are right, we say, Lord, what do I need to do to accommodate you? How can I worship you? How can I be pleasing to you? What is it that I can do in obedience that you would look at and you would be great, you would embrace and you would bless, and I would find favor if my motives are correct? It didn't stop there with him. And this is what I said earlier. You begin to with the regret of a wrong um, motive. Verse 8 says this. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. This is the first motive. This is the first response of, of the wrong motives and if you want to make one's life in uh, jeopardy. Behavior manifested because he felt that he was unfairly treated, and treated. So he took it out on the one who done what was right. Isn't it amazing when other people begin to prosper and things begin to go right in their life, people's motives get wrong. Amazing. It's amazing how people's motives can begin to change and turn. You know, and I could say things about our church, about us as a body, and, and things that are said and things that people have tried to insinuate. But here's the thing. What are the motives of any of us when we respond right now? Let me take you in the same field, in the same pasture, if you will, or the same crop field, or maybe it was the field where the, the animals were, and Abel was there. What was Abel's attitude like? Abel was there willing to spend time with his brother when he knew his brother was wroth. Abel was more than likely, his 
his motives were trying to restore Caleb. He was the one who always tried to keep a balance in Caleb's life. Not Caleb, but Cain's life. And as he looked at him, he was trying to bring things maybe in, in a positive way into Cain to see the right things that, that was right about bringing the firstlings and, and sacrificing them to the Lord correctly. So how did he respond? I believe he loved his brother Cain. I believe he trusted Cain. But then he was killed by someone whose motives were distorted. Now tonight, so I want you to look at yourself for just a minute. I want you to think, what are my motives? What are my purposes? What are my desires? And what is it that motivates me in the way I speak, the way I talk, the way I behave? There's a big difference between Abel and Cain. Second place I'd like you to go is in the book of Proverbs. We're going to touch on several passages here in the second point, and I won't spend a lot of time here. But, but in the book of Proverbs in chapter 16, if you would go there, in verse 2 it says this, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Where does motives begin at? They begin in a, in a conception of how you think and how you begin to evaluate and how you think of them. What is your motive? You know, when you're, when you're working for someone or you don't like somebody, what are your motives for getting back at them or retaliating or, or proving your points? How many of you have ever done something to prove that you were right and they were wrong? Yeah, I have. If any of you would be honest, you probably have done the same thing. Do you remember the message, W-A-I-T? Why am I talking? Why am I talking when you're in the middle of a deep, heated argument? Why are you talking? Because you're trying to discredit them. Your motive is to prove that you're right and they're wrong, more than likely. It isn't always the case, but many times it is. The motive is everything about why we do what we do and the reasons behind it. But I am right, and they should agree with me. They should listen to me. Chapter 16 again, the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. There is no way on this planet possible that Moses could have led the Jews the way he did for those years without a right spirit, that his motives were correct. They were not impure. They were not self-motivated. They were what was best of the people. You've heard me say this quote a thousand times. No man safely rules except he who loves to be subject. No one can be a good leader if they don't have to follow somebody else, if they don't listen to other people's advice, if they don't listen to somebody else's direction. If you are unteachable, your motives will always be corrupt because your motives will always be about how you see everything and nobody else knows anything but you. My motives. My motives. Until you and I see things the way the Lord sees them, our motives will always seem pure to us, but they won't be pure to others. Go to Jeremiah, if you will, in chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, read two verses here. Is it warm in here? There's an oven back there. See, they got this mental coat on. All right, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, according to the fruit of his motives, according to the fruit of his behavior. There's so many things about how we think and how we operate and how we respond that reflects where we are spiritually. 
at Teen Challenge when I worked there several years ago, and, and Brother Bill, uh, you know, we worked there together. For, he worked there a lot longer than I did. But, but one of the things we always we could evaluate a lot of guys' spiritual integrity and how they were growing spiritually is their ability to work in the workforce. If they were lazy and they were bummed, then we knew something was wrong spiritually. Their motives were impure. They were doing just enough. I remember a guy by the name of Matt Jarena. He was from Cleveland, Ohio, and, and Matt was, was a pretty decent kid, I guess. But when he first came, he was a big boy, big old heavyset boy, and, and we were picking strawberries. And if there's ever anything that would try your patience and let you know if you were really loving Jesus or not, it would be eight hours a day on your knees picking strawberries. Now, we had rules. How many of you have ever picked strawberries? How many of you have ever picked them, straddled the row, and go through and pick them like that? Anybody ever do that? Oh, that's wrong. You can't pick strawberries that way. Lynn Sinclair will teach you, you can't work very long and effectively with your head below your heart. So we had to learn to pick like this. So you could pick like this, or you pick like this. Now you may be tough, and you may be one of those people that spend hours a day in prayer, but I wasn't one of those guys. And so when I was on my knees all day like this, with my back bent over and my knees bent, that was the most miserable times I can honestly say probably in our marriage physically. I was a young guy, I was in pretty good shape, but I would get up in the mornings and I couldn't stand up. Uh, we had, we couldn't, I couldn't even get in our bed. When I'd go home from work at night, we had a hide-a-bed. Remember this, honey? We had a hide-a-bed in the living room. And we pulled that hide-a-bed out, and I could settle over in it. And in the mornings when I woke up, I'd have to roll over, let my knees hit the floor, and I'd crawl and get the end of the bed and start getting myself straightened up. And I'd get myself straightened up at 4.30 or 4.45, whatever it was, and, and go get in the shower and get warm and get moved and whatever where I'm moving, and, and then go get ready to pick strawberries. And I'll never forget that the first year I was there, I hated every minute of it. Hated it, despised it, would never want to go back, done it for three, two more years after that, for three years. But I remember uh, the boys from Cleveland just got there, and Matt Jarena didn't want to pick strawberries. I said, Matt, you got to pick. He says, who are you? And of course, I was big and tough, and my motives were, I'm fat. He goes, I don't care who you are, I ain't picking. Needless to say, we had a few words, and it wasn't real great, but but Matt's motives were to challenge me. Matt mo- Matt's motives were to make excuses for why he couldn't do what other people were doing. My motive was probably not always great. I had a nickname at Teen Challenge, and this is probably hard to believe, but brothers called me Brother Vex. Don't vex our spirit, Brother Brother Dwight. And uh, my motives weren't always the way they should have been, but there's one thing about it. Our motives always have a, a way of working in our life. I'm going to read this one more time, but verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, will search the heart. I try the reins even to give this man, give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. There is something about our motives that bring things back into our lives. We know what the scripture says. That whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's things that we do and we bring things back. There's things that we invest in and there's always returns. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual. Let me stop here for a minute. I had this thought this morning, and we, my wife and I were talking to Bobby and Jane this week, and there was a spiritual laws, and I want you to just visualize this with me. Whenever Jesus went to Calvary and he resurrected, there were spiritual laws that were set into place. And this is kind of a, a sci-fi dimensional thing. But when we operate in obedience to him, when our motivation is right, imagine a little hole here that, that you can stick your hand through and it's all wobbly and you don't know what's on that side, but spiritually, when you step through and you enter into God's reasoning and God's thinking and God's grace, the principles are different than what they were when you were out of God's grace and God's thinking. 
So when you step into this place, it brings you into a completely different dimension. I don't mean you're going to see different colors. But I'm saying that you begin to sow things in your life that's differently. Your motivation's different. Your motives are pure. And there's things that God brings into our life when our motives are correct. But when we step back over here, then our motives are usually more self-centered and more focused upon us. Look in the book of Hebrews, if you will, in chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Here's the thing about the word of God. Everything we do, if we base it upon this, it will keep our motives pure. When we begin to step out and do things that are not according to this word, but are self-rewarding or self Maybe I'm not saying that in a bad way. You need to learn how to invest and do things that bless you. But your motives have always got to remain pure. Because this word will decide it. It will discern it. It will show the intent. This word will reveal to you who you should and shouldn't be. Go to James chapter 4. Next book over. James 4. James 4 and verse 1. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your what? Lust. That war in your members. I'm going to stop here for a minute. Often when we read the word lust, we always think of a sensual thing. Lust has nothing to do with just one particular area. Lust has to do with something that has to do with your motives and your desires and what you want that are corrupted. Do we not have problems? Let me ask you. If you ever have a conflict with anybody in your household, why is there a conflict? Because there's an opposite view of how things ought to be. You know, I, I cook some, well, rarely, but if I cook some things, you know, I have to get pointers from my wife. Or why does it taste like, ugh, and, and what should I do, or what did I leave out? And because my wife is more experienced. But there's times in our marriages, in our relationships with others, that our motives are so contaminated that we try to consume, and we try to prove that we're right, and it ruins the whole relationship. Why is there war and fightings? Because your motives are wrong. Verse 2, you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain, you fight and you war, and you have not because you ask him. Now listen to verse 3. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Remember this little, little hula hoop over here we just had? The reason we don't have a lot of things that God wants to give us is because we step from over here when our motives and our thinking is right, and we step back over here, and we can't have it because our lust changed, our desires changed. Our motives are always are always fluctuating if we're wanting God's will, we want to do it the way God wants, or if we want to do it the way that benefits me the most. Motives. Why do I say what I say? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my point? What is my purpose? Is it to draw people to me, or is it to make a change in those around me? Go to Numbers, if you will, in chapter 20. And this is where we will close tonight. Numbers chapter 20 has a variety of things going on in this chapter, and, and uh, you begin to see how things were winding down in and, and Israel. They're about to go through a land of promise. A variety of things are kind of approaching that place. But in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, to the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode at Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried. Who was Miriam? 
That was Moses' sister. She was a prophetess. She was, she was someone who God spoke to as well, not face to face like Moses, but God spoke to her, and she died in the wilderness. And you may not think that's a big deal and very significant, but as we go through this chapter, you're going to see something that, was very, that pinpoints back to verse 1. Verse 2, and there was, in, there was no water for the congregation, for they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses. In other words, they argued and they challenged him. Their motives were they were retaliating against Moses, blaming him for God bringing them out. And they spake, saying, Would God that we had died with our bro- when our brethren died before the Lord? Why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness? How many times, reading the book of Exodus, do we hear that the people chided with Moses and blamed Moses for them leaving Egypt and getting out in the wilderness? Time and time and time again. Why? Because they based everything on their present circumstance on whether life was worth living or not. And the thing is, a lot of us have done the same thing. We have questioned why things are the way they were, and so it really contaminates why am I here? Why are things going the way they did? So let's continue. Why have you brought us up in the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went away from the presence of the assembly. Why did they go away from the presence of the assembly? Why would they get away from them? Let me ask you. When someone's motives and everything about them is always on the negative side and always on the whatever self-seeking side, whatever you want to call it, how many, how often do you want to be around them? So what do you do? You try to find seclusion. You try to get away. You try to stay away from those people and their influence, and that's what Moses and Aaron did. They said, we've got to get along. We've got to get away from the motives of the people and let God speak to our hearts. So they got away, and, and let's continue to read. Um, Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather the assembly together, together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, and so shalt the, give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he had commanded and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, let me ask you, what kind of mood was Moses in when he went back to the congregation? Not very good mood. How many of you have ever got home and you were not in a very good mood? How many of you know that when you take your child and you're mad at your child and you've got a rod in your hand that's spanking, that's the wrong time to spank them? Because your, your, beat, your, your correction is fine to spank them, obviously, I think, and but the attitude behind it is what's wrong. Had a scenario. Can I tell this? Yeah, we'll tell. Had a scenario today w- with one of our granddaughters. They'd done something they shouldn't do, so I made them come and, and talk to me. And I said, "Am I mad at you?" No. What did you do wrong? And they told me what they'd done wrong. I said, "Okay, I'm going to spank your bottom." I don't want to spank him. I said, "Well, no, you don't." But you know what I'm trying to do? Is I'm trying to teach you there are results to the wrong motives, to the wrong. I don't say motives. They're doing the wrong thing. So she bent over my leg, and I gave her a couple of swats. I didn't beat her. I didn't bring blood, or my mom and dad used to beat me with an inch of my life with chains and dog hoses and everything. I, I could barely walk for weeks. And Okay, I didn't do that, but I spanked her. Why? Because correction brings about results. And I explained to her the reason. And here we have Moses. Moses is ticked off. 
and took his rod back, and Moses took the rod from before the Lord, and as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron and the congregation, in verse 10, were together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, what's me fetch you water out of this rock? And he's not happy. He is mad because his motive now had left the presence of the Lord, and he's ticked off because as he comes back, he sees all the ones he was griping. And let me be honest with you. It's not always fun to go around people who are always complaining. It's not. It's not. You know, I'm going to kind of throw another little curveball at you. When we were on, we were in Alaska, there were several days we had no, no connection, none at all. That wasn't necessarily bad, you know. It just wasn't. And when I came back, I had full connection. And I had contacts, and I had text messages, and I had things. And it would have been better in some ways when I came back if I still didn't have any service on my phone. Why? Because when you get certain messages, you think, oh, really? Really? Seriously? And that's where Moses is. And Moses was frustrated. He says, okay, you rebels, listen. Do I have to fetch you some water out of this rock? And because his motive was wrong and his attitude was wrong and his thinking was wrong, Moses lifted up his hand and with the rod he smote the rock twice and the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and the beast also. Why did God honor it? God honored it because of who Moses was. But what was the consequences of his motive? never got to see what was right. You may think your motives are not that big a deal. They, they are everything in the life of a believer. When you teach a class, if you do anything in this church for an attaboy, a pat on the back, then you are, your motives are completely distorted. I had something on my phone I was reading earlier about why are our motives wrong and would I still do this if nobody ever said good job? Would I still do what I'm doing if nobody else ever came and told me that they appreciated what I've done? If, if you do it for any of those reasons, it will be short-lived. Because I'm going to be honest with you, the, the heart of a servant and those who, who if, if you learn to serve, it's not about the accolades of men. It's about the results. This morning we had, we had several people at the altars. There is nothing any more rewarding to a pastor, or shouldn't be, than when the Lord gives him a message and people respond. That's, that's a reward. It's not a, a, I didn't write names down and I didn't calculate it and, and post it on Facebook how many people were at the altars. But it showed me that people responded to his word. And that's all that I am as a delivery person. And same with you. And if my motives become about performing and my motives become about enticing you and my motives become about making you like me more, then my motives have become tainted and they will not be effective in the way they should be. So my motive is everything. It's everything. Your motive is everything. I know a gentleman in Kentucky. He was so excited. He was on the board of a particular church, and I went there to visit once. We were there in the town, and we were visiting, and he came up and told me that it was a great place for business people to go in and meet other people to grow their business. And by the way, I'm, I'm on the board here now. And I wanted to show up because he thought it was a stepping stone to, to produce him or lift him up in his political career. His motives were wrong. I'm going to close. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, because they both got thrown in the same boat, Aaron and Moses, in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land that I have given them. Motives, reasons we act like we act. Motives, the reasons that we talk like we talk. Motives, the reason we continue to live exactly how we live. Motives, the reason we nag and complain.
proclaim, accuse, and point fingers is a motive. And this is the, when it all comes down to it, when your motives are wrong, it's because you simply enjoy it and that's it. Your motives are determined by what you enjoy. And if you like making people miserable, then that will be your motive to pursue it. If you want to see people come out of darkness into light, then your motives will be pure and just and right because they're seated in heaven. Does that make sense? Let me ask you tonight, what are your motives? What are they? What is your purpose and what is your motive? Why are you thinking? Why are you speaking? Why are you saying what you're saying? There's always a reason. Is it a retaliation? Is it a justification? Is it to prove that you're right and we're wrong? Really? What's your motive? I've had people ask me before and, and said, you know, uh, so-and-so said this and sent this to me or sent me an email or whatever it is. What do I say? I said, you don't say anything back. Over the years in this church, I've had people who were agitated with me who were looking for one thing. They were looking for a fight. And I was not going to give it to them. Because the motives are wrong in the midst of a battle. And I'll be honest with you. If you're looking for a fight with someone, you're the one with the wrong motives. It may be with your spouse you're looking for a fight with. You want to prove to them how wrong they are and how right you are. Your motives are impure. And the thing about wrong motives is it never reproduces life. It always produces reproducing problems. So if your kids begin to act like you're acting, you're looking, why are they acting like that? They've learned motives come from you. This is to believers. This is to believers. This is not to people that are not believers. There's a certain way that we as, as believers in Christ and truth. And I want you to find something, but who's in the sound booth? Let's see. If y'all can find something. I'm sorry, Missy, I know you're not real tall, but if you can find something to play, we're just going to close here in a minute, and, and um, we're not going to do the all tonight. I'm going to have them come back up like we normally do. But, but I want you to think about a few things. I want you to think about what is your motive? Why are you saying what you say? Why are you responding how you respond? I've said this story many times, and uh, many years ago, my father did a lot of visitation. He lived in a really poor area of Kentucky, and and he pastored. And you can go ahead and play it. That's fine. And where he pastored, he would he would go out the ridge, is what it was called. We lived at Burr Hill. Yeah, like a burr in your saddle. We lived in Burr Hill, and out past us was a place called Orlando. When he dropped off the ridge and. Orlando, he dropped down a big, long, curvy road to the bottom of a mountain area called Brush Creek. And my father always went visiting people, and, and to be honest with you, he was usually the poorest of the poor. He visited a lot of them because they had needs. And I know there were times he took food to people and a variety of things that my father did. But I remember um, hearing my mom and dad talk one time, and there was a lady who had lost her husband. She had some kids, and her dad had taken some clothes or food out there just to help them out. And and when he did, some people in the community said, ah, he's out there trying to make a move on that young woman. And I remember him talking about it, and man, my mom was fit to be tied. Boy, if you know my mother, <laughs> man, she was, she was agitated. And what are you going to do? And dad said, I'll do nothing. I'm not going to respond to something that has no truth to it. The motives were there to corrupt. And I learned something very important from my dad that day, that there's not always got to be a response to somebody else's wrong motive. Church, listen, you're going to face things that you don't understand that people will say about you and toward you and toward your family, maybe family members. Don't respond. Their motive may be wrong, but don't let it corrupt yours as well. Right? Is God good? Absolutely. 
and he wants the best for you. I'm going to tell you one quick story about our trip down to uh, over or up and over to Alaska. We got there to the boat, and um, there was a lot of little bloopers that the Hensleys done. The Blairs were just starting to crack up things we done. I'm going to tell you all of them. That'll be another story. But this one particular one, we thought we could sneak an, I- sneak an iron onto the boat. You know, a little one from Kayleen. Well, Kayleen's fault for letting us take it. But we took this little iron so we could iron clothes. And one had it all padded up and hid under clothes. And we thought, well, you it doesn't matter. It was under clothes. That's all I know. But there was an iron there. And we get on the boat. And, and okay, maybe you didn't know. I didn't know either. Really. Anyway, we get on the boat. And we put it through the x-ray machine. It says no iron. They, we didn't get our suitcase. Well, we'd already had one episode with the suitcase, and here's the second one, and we didn't have any clothes. We had a girl that was our statesman or whatever you call them that took care of the room and just took care of us, and she went above and beyond and out of her way to take care of us. She located it, and we got it to her. And there was something so pure about this girl by the name of Grace. She was from the Philippines, 27 years old. We tried to coerce her to move back to Missouri and get her work, whatever. But everything about her, her motives were so pure. She was always up early, getting people's rooms, taking care of things. There was something that you could not help but be drawn to Grace. Am I right? Just drawn to her. There were other people on the boat that weren't that way. Some people were friendly the last few days because they wanted a PM rating for the cruise. Her motives were right from the first day. And you can tell. It's the same with us. When you do things that are right because your motives are pure, not everybody's going to like it. Not everybody's going to agree with it. But at least you know. And that's all you've got to have. Father, tonight, Lord, for all of us.